The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. The one-two pitch, ball line to Yout, it's short, he throws, it's over! The Brewers have won the American League pennant! Milwaukee, you have a World Series! Hit in the air... Yount makes a great catch, and Juan Diemus has thrown the first no-hitter in Milwaukee Brewer history. Swings, and here it is! A base hit in the right center. He's done it. 3,000 for Robin. And there's a drive in the left field. This is hit well, and it's gone! Morgan a smash up the middle, base hit the center. Here comes Gomez around third. A throw and the Brewers win. The Brewers are moving on on a base hit by Nigel Morgan. Here it is. Yelich sends one to right center and deep. Get up, get up, get out of here and go for Yelich. You're cruising for a bruising with me, Andrew Snyder. I'm me. Adam McGee. As we talk all things Milwaukee Brewers for the Eurostep Podcast Network and Blue Wire Podcast, Adam, in one week, it will be February. In the month of February, the Brewers will report to spring training along with the rest of Major League Baseball and to begin preparations, uh, some for the World Baseball Classic. But the larger goal in mind is the 2023 Major League Baseball season. Before we get into some news and notes and then before we enter a time machine, Adam, how you doing? I'm doing well. I'm just thinking there because that's something I'm not quite used to from other sports. But this idea that the players are all going to report for spring training and then some of them are going to leave for the World Baseball Classic. It's kind of weird. Kind of just a weird way to do it. Um, but yeah, I guess that's the the calendar. That is the calendar. Um, and we'll talk about this at a later date. But I think... Uh... Most of the Brewers that we know are playing in the World Baseball Classic, at least Rowdy, Telez, Luis Arias, and Devin Williams will still be based in Arizona for the, I guess we'll call it the group stages of the World Baseball oh, Classic. Okay. So so they'll be around. Um, I'm not sure where Canada is, so who knows where Abraham Toro is off to. But Canada is in uh, North America. Well, that that is true. So you have answered uh, at least a version of my question. Uh, 
Adam, we'll talk about some some rumblings across Major League Baseball about the Brewers first. And then one thing we're going to do is last night, or yes, last night, if you're listening to this on Wednesday, uh, we got together with a, a group of Brewers fans and listeners and also our good friend and colleague Jordan Tresky to watch together uh, Game 163 between the Cubs and the Milwaukee Brewers from the 2018 season. Uh, great Brewers playoff run that season. You and I were obviously coming to it with fresher eyes. I'd seen the games as a neutral back then. You had never seen uh, this game. And it was a lot of fun. And uh, we're going to do it again next week. Am I right? We're going to do it again next week and the week after that and the week after that and the week after that. We're going to watch through the entirety of the Brewers 2018 postseason. When Andrew says we got together, we did not literally all get together in the one space. So if anyone in, I don't know, Canada, for example, if you haven't angrily, you know, turned this thing off and Andrew's like, where is Canada? If you want to join in too, you can. We watched the game on Playback, a service that many of you will have heard us talk about before, probably, or you may even be familiar with if you've joined for Brewers games throughout the season. Um, but yeah, a virtual space where... A room of us can get together, all watch the game in sync, Andrew and I, and yeah, it was Jordan last night, and sometimes it's some of our other GSPN friends. We were up on quote-unquote stage. We'll chat through the game. We'll go back and forth with everyone in the chat. It's a lot of fun. And this seemed like a, a good exercise to do, a good season to take a look at. Andrew and I have talked about, okay, we need to, over time, we need to accumulate our knowledge, really bet in and move backwards. And this is not too far of a jump back. For Andrew, it's just reframing things that he'd already seen in a different way. For me, it's getting to fill in the blanks of stuff I was aware of in my consciousness, but had absolutely zero interest in. And Game six, game 163 was a, a fun start. So next Monday, should I give a date, Andrew? Should I give a date to be really... Uh, Monday, the 30th of January, 2023, just like the year two in this case, because we'll be going back to 2018. Uh, We'll be watching game one of the NLDS, Rockies, Brewers, 6 p.m. Central, 6 p.m. Central. That's where you can join us. If you're a member of the Discord, if you follow us on Twitter, you'll find all of the details in those places. If you're not a member to Discord and you want to join our Brewers channel, go to gspn.info. You can request to join from there, and we'll be very glad to have you. And for the more direct route, our room on Playback is www.playback.tv forward slash cruising for a bruising i can't believe i did www.andrew what year is this that's that's going back even further than 2018 but that's how you find us make sure you get in there 6 p.m sharp we will be starting um i would say if you've never used it before hit that go set up your account in advance but please if you've never tried it um it's a very welcoming space you could come and you could fully immerse yourself and chat it up with everyone you can come and you can just observe and watch an old Brewers game to fill that that hole in your heart for Brewers baseball. So whatever way it is, make sure come check it out. Monday, 6 p.m. Central Time, playback.tv slash cruising for bruising. NLDS game one, Rockies Brewers. And uh, this time me and Jordan promise not to immerse ourselves too deep in a bit where we 
we pretend we're in 2018. It made for a lot of confusion when discussing the current it was worn out. of uh, of it players. It was worn out immediately, and I'm I'm glad of that. Maybe you uh, know if people join now, I, they'll they'll at least have avoided that. I make a promise, and I don't know if Jordan can keep that promise. So <laughs> if he's on there, who knows what's going to happen? Uh, before we talk about last night's experience in watching Game 163, which was a a tense and thrilling game, um, more so in the moment when you don't know the outcome. That being said, uh, there's a few things to talk about uh, around baseball and specifically related to the Brewers. First thing I want to get into is uh, the Brian Anderson signing has become official. That meant that the Brewers had to clear a spot on the 40 man. Uh, Due to that, John Singleton was designated for assignment. Uh, Singleton was added to the 40 man uh, in mid-November. Obviously a guy who... um, was a highly regarded prospect nearly a decade ago, was uh, drafted by the Phillies. He was in the Hunter Pence trade, sent from Philadelphia to Houston, um, has last played in the big leagues in 2014. His career was derailed uh, due to suspensions for marijuana use and failed drug tests, which is ridiculous if I'll editorialize for a moment. Um, obviously made his way back into baseball, it was a great story, spent Last season in Nashville, uh, 219, 375, 434 uh, slash line in minor league baseball, led minor league baseball with 117 walks, did have a high strikeout right, had 24 homers. Nice story, him being added to the 40-man. Uh, didn't really think there was much room for him on the roster, obviously. Rowdy Telez is going to be the everyday first baseman. They've got guys like Mike Brasso, Brian Anderson, who can play there in a pinch, um, and didn't seem like he was going to factor into this roster at all. So you're just uh, are you trying to will Castillo's departure into existence by just not mentioning his name? It's just whenever I think of a defensive position, his name just doesn't cross <laughs> through my my brain path. Castillo, another guy who, who can stand by the base at uh, first base. Uh, so we'll see if uh, Singleton ends up back in Nashville if he can uh, clear waivers there. Uh, maybe he ends up with a different organization, but any thoughts on that? My thoughts uh, mostly arise from the the press that Brian Anderson and indeed Matt Arnold were doing. Um, and one of the things we talked about, and we, we kind of touched on some of the, I guess, scuttlebutt around his signing and what exactly his role would be. And you and I uh, voiced... I think it's fair to say frustrations about just the idea of how they may be tooling up at the infield in a way that squeezes out, for example, the likes of Bryce Terang and as a knock-on effect more generally where prospects don't get the opportunity to shine and the Brewers don't really commit in the the immediate sense to being like, okay, let's see what Terang and Sal Freelich and guys like that can do. Can they give us what we need, that kind of injection of not just energy, but I guess talent at this point too, um, that the Brewers haven't been spending in a meaningful way, so they certainly haven't been adding in free agency. And at that point, we'd heard reports that Brian Anderson would be a third baseman. I think we were, you in particular, were trying to push back on that and say you feel like you spent a lot of time out in right field and it'll make sense with that. And when asked directly, um, as Adam McAlvey reported, what 
was he told to expect about his playing time? Brian Anderson said, quote, they talked a lot about third base kind of being the primary role they were looking at with me, with occasionally spending time in the outfield and maybe even some first base. First base is one of the positions I have the least amount to work at. What really appealed to me about Milwaukee was just a whole organization. I'm just to be ex- excited to be with an organization whose focus is really on winning and competing at every level, end quote. Um, We'll leave the last part of that alone. Uh, we we go there too often. We go to that well very very often. But as Mar- for the Marlins fans just it, out here just hating life. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I don't I don't know what to make of this. Much kind of calling back to what we talked about last week, unless they're gonna clear some room. I don't even know how exactly that's going to play out. But for example, the Mike Brasso's of the world and bringing him back to then find yourself in this spot. And yeah, Abraham Toro, all those kind of deals. This is what we talked about last week, but this is the additive extra of actually hearing it straight from the horse's mouth in this case. So I don't feel great about that. Um, And even just separating that it's it's interesting that they're talking to him about his role primarily being a third base he feels like someone who's going to play like in a in a meaningful way not an everyday starter but someone who is going to see quite a lot of starts compared to many other guys in the roster and if that is how they're viewing it maybe that is the softly softly approach and Bryce Tarang will factor into that but just going beyond that, even it feels like they've got a lot going on, probably too much going on. It needs to be a situation where if he's playing, it's because he's performing. And there was say, for example, now he was a slightly above or slightly below league average hitter last year. Not Brian Anderson, Andrew McCutcheon. He was a the guy they signed in the offseason to be the primary DH. He's uh, like a, a veteran with a degree of, respect earned around baseball former MVP I think in signing him and he doesn't perform there's maybe some hesitancy to like not play him and they didn't also didn't have a ton of other options really other than like Kesson here or Brasso at the DH spot but I think with a guy like Brian Anderson if he's not performing it's more of a situation like with what you saw with Lorenzo Kane, even though Kane in theory would have been a guy who also <laughs> had earned that respect. But if if it's a situation where you get through mid-May and he's got a sub-650 OPS and it's not working, I think you just you unplug, you unplug the TV and you plug in a new TV. So if they are approaching this roster with all these options aggressively and it's going to be sink or swim, and whoever's performing's in, and if you're not, okay, it's time to play Bryce Trang, fine. But I would have been more in favor of them going with an aggressive approach, like kind of like Atlanta's done in the last few years, where it's like, okay, we have a need. Michael Harris, go play center field. Vaughn Grissom, go play second base, and we'll see what happens. And then, I mean, Spencer Strider, go work your way into the rotation, and then you have two guys in the rookie of the year race. Uh, so this limits that potential if you're just fully committed to playing Anderson every day at third base I still remain to be sold that 
even if that's where the conversations were, that they're not going to throw him in right field a fair degree. But uh, well, we'll see how to, that shakes out. So that part of it. So if he's saying occasionally spending time in the outfield, there is still time for an additional signing or further trades or anything. But does that not also kind of hint if you're going to use him in this way where he is going to very much primarily be the third baseman that they are going to play Jesse Winker in the outfield? Not even uh, some, but quite a bit, maybe even more than they should do as opposed to him being just kind of the regular DH, maybe with some Contreras mixed in on days where Caratini starts to catch it. Um, if I had to bet money, I don't, I, I'm now in the camp that I think the roster is what it is to a degree, unless they mm-hmm. make some moves, uh, for reliever or trade a starting pitcher, which I don't think is coming, but those are kind of like the areas where you've got surplus in one area and can always add more in another. I, I'd wager on the opening day outfield being Yelich, Mitchell, Tyron Taylor, um, at the, I think it was the hot stove cold brew south relic even said like yeah i'm probably going to start the year in nashville and then hopefully earn a midseason call up so i mean it seems like this is what they're going to go with like i said last week with the brian anderson signing i would hope that the opening day outfield was yelich mitchell anderson and then you go arias at third and turning at second and you roll with that but it just with those comments it sounds like he would expect to be the primary starter at third base and if that's what you're doing, you're either playing Jesse Winker in right field or Tyrone Taylor. And by all accounts, it doesn't sound like Winker's a guy that can play in the outfield anymore for his health and just for his outfield performance. Um, then again, the Philadelphia Phillies last year said defense doesn't matter and they made it to the World Series. So who knows? Yeah, I think the other thing with that, though, is that the depth isn't there in the outfield to to take that route. Like if Tyrone Taylor is factoring in and that mean, makes... Winker at DH, and you're not having Sal Freelich involved with the big league team from the jump, that leaves what? Blake Perkins, assuming he's around? Like, which, I mean, that's an assumption. Um, By the time we get to the start of the season, like, there, there isn't the depth where then to be telling Anderson that he may occasionally be used. It's like, well, looking at the roster construction, you're going to need someone to play there just to give guys days off pretty regularly compared to what is kind of stacking up as a range of options in terms of utility infielders. So that, yeah, that if part he, of it if just he's not the depth, make sense. If he's me. not the depth, I don't get it at all. Like he, he needs to play like once a week in right field, basically like to, for it to make sense to me, like one out of every three to five of his starts needs to be in right field. Maybe, maybe he comes in and the left shoulder is healthy and he mashes and this works itself out. But like from a versatility standpoint and for this to have true value, he needs to really be that utility knife in terms of giving guys days at multiple positions. And that includes first base if Rowdy needs a day off as well, because we saw what can happen when when Rowdy is really asked to do too much earlier in the year, we were upset that he was being taken out of the lineup. And then towards the end of the year, it seems like either an injury or just fatigue kind of wore him down. And they don't have a lot of good options to slide in there when he does need a day off. But Yeah, I just, (laughs) 
I re- like we didn't even mention Owen Miller then. I don't want to fully repeat the conversation we had on last week's pod, but feels like you've kind of got third base mostly covered, or at least you might not have it covered as well as you would have liked, but you'd made some decisions where now I, I mean those quotes and those conversations that they had with Brian Anderson do make me consider like maybe maybe they are not done yet as much as I would be inclined to side with you and be like yeah this is probably the roster I do think the outfield does need to be addressed in some way there's it's just it's like last week we're done with the infield they need to address this week it's the outfield for different reasons I think there's just some some clarity needs to emerge some clear delineation of how your roster is shaped up some balance to be found and there's still time to do that and they could do it very quickly i mean the other part of it i think we're we're putting a lot of stock into almost a historical understanding of the brewers and the somewhat cautious approach they take to these things i think that's informing where we're at with how freelick and tarangle factor in is the flip side of that that if they have a great spring training that like could the brewers be like let's see what they have in spring training and how they're hanging what we feel like their development is like to this point coming into a new season and then we make our decision or do you really feel like those decisions were fully committed to quite a while ago I think they're done. I just don't see where a move comes from. The free agent market, but not, market's but not even thin. that. I, I mean, for for Terang and Freelich, like uh, could could they be in a place where they have them their names in pencil? We'll say in the depth chart. Well, I think they're thinking about the clock now as well. So, oh, God, that just drives me crazy, Andrew. It drives me crazy. You need to get your best team on the field. This I mean, is... if Freelich is saying at a team event that he expects to start the season at Nashville, it seems like that would have been communicated to him by someone. So that that is my concern there in the in that my idea of uh, throw caution to the wind and play the prospects that you regard har- uh, highly in your organization and have been rocketing up prospect lists is just not going to happen until at least May or June. Yeah, but it's also just like if if the late season Garrett Mitchell thing proves to just be a blip on the radar and he flames out and he's not really that good. Like, as the roster is constructed, you're assuming he is a capable starting Major League Baseball outfielder. And you're, you're not really prepared for that not to be the case. Maybe that is part of the fear because you've elevated one guy and he finds himself in that spot. But if he has even, like minor-ish struggles through the early part of the season. You don't have someone to really bail them out, which is... I I don't know. That's concerning. Just to give options. To give options to your manager. To give options to your guys. So it's not like, well... The whole weight of the world is on your shoulders. Our success and failure rests with you because we haven't constructed the roster to have other options in place. There are other options, Adam. Before Freelit if the service time concerns are top of mind, is the the safety net for Garrett Mitchell is going to be an answer we don't like either, which is Blake Perkins, a guy who has never played in a Major League Baseball game. What kind of safety net is that, though? I don't like... 
I don't know. We're the, <laughs> I feel like we this is the conversation we had last week. We're gonna probably have it again as as we get closer to the season and it becomes even clearer that, that is what they're going with. But it it is surprising. Um, even just like from a messaging point of view for for Anderson, because you could just not tie him that century to one position and be like, look, we really value what you can bring as a right fielder, really value what you can bring at third base. We think you can play some first and we want you to be ready because we think there'll be opportunities to play across those positions and you're going to help us win games this year. And that to me seems like the best way to prepare things because the other side of that is if, for example, you get an injury or someone is really bad and all of a sudden he does have to play regularly in right field, he's now in a place where he's like, oh, well, I thought I was playing third base and that's kind of where I really wanted to play, although I didn't say that or whatever, as opposed to making it clear to him, look, we think you could do all of it and we are going to get you the most opportunities possible by using you where the need arises. I just think it's to to go that specific on it is one thing. It's like, that's that's interesting. It's telling us something about third base in its own right. Um, but also, given the other position that he could play for them and given the situation in the outfield, I feel like it's telling us something that we just can't grasp. There's something in there uh, I don't necessarily think I like it, Andrew, but there's something in there that, you know, is in the tea leaves that Matt Arnold has laid out for us. There's also the possibility that anything anyone says on a January press conference is meaningless, and we don't know that. For the That's for true, the but I also assume he's not lying in his introductory, you know, media availability. That wouldn't I don't think like he was lying, start. but, you know, he could have emphasized third base, and maybe they're, they're talking about more of a timeshare and, you know, just wasn't communicated successfully. The other quote that is worth mentioning before we, we move on from this is you mentioned his shoulder uh, again. Now, this might apply to the sentiment you just shared and that maybe don't put too much stock in what people say in their introductory January press conference. Um, but Anderson's quote on his health was, I'm working out. I'm full go. I don't even notice my shoulder anymore, which <laughs> I, I don't know. I notice my shoulder, Andrew. Um that might be a concern in its own right, but yeah, he seems healthy, at least from what he's saying. And if that's the case, well, certainly a positive start. We know from the reporting that there's plenty of incentivized elements to his contract too. So um, that part is definitely important. Yeah, I'm taking that one as gospel because I like the way it sounds. So We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Uh, moving on to some other news and notes throughout baseball. Ken Rosenthal posted one of his grab bag articles on The Athletic um, with some free agency rumors. So... The left-handed relief market uh, still has some guys out there. Zach Britton, Andrew Chafin, someone that I've mentioned on this podcast, and Matt Moore. Uh, the Brewers were mentioned as a team that was interested in Zach Britton. Zach Britton, 35 years old, and is trying to come back from a significant injury. For the most part in his career, he has been an elite relief pitcher, with both with Baltimore and the New York Yankees, was an all-star in 2015 and 2016 um as recently as the 2019 season he posted a 191 era across 61 and a third innings then in the covid shortened year 19 innings at a 189 era then in 2021 had the worst season of his career to date 589 era across 18 and a third innings last year through only two-thirds of an inning before um being shut down uh, injuries or, or what has derailed him late in his career. Uh, September 2021 had surgery to remove bone chips from his throwing elbow. Elbow uh, during that operation, per MLB trade rumors, uh, doctors noticed that his UCL was damaged and needed repair. Tommy John surgery was what shut him down for the 2022 season. Um, and then obviously he actually, yeah, so he wasn't shut down last year. He just pitched at the tail end of the season as he was working his way back from Tommy John. Uh, apparently he threw for teams last week. The Brewers are mentioned among a laundry list of teams that are interested in him. The Texas Rangers, Los Angeles Angels, Houston Astros, Yankees, Red Sox, Blue Jays, Brewers, Cardinals, Cubs. So it might have been easier to mention teams that were not interested in Zach Britton after that uh, workout. But uh, the bullpen could use another lefty. Uh, Britain is a risk, obviously, with the injuries and the age concerns. We saw what happened last season when you get enamored by a workout, make a move for a player, and then they never play. Um, we'll not speak his name. But uh, Adam, Zach Britton, another flyer for the bullpen, or just uh, Ken Rosenthal, really bored in January and needs something to talk about. The Brewers love workouts, Andrew. That's what we take for this. They love uh, a comeback story, an aging, injured pitcher who might just have one more good year in him, that kind of setup. Get the Brewers to the workout. Um, they'll 
they'll share their interest, they'll get a market going, they'll let someone else sign him, and then they'll trade for him. I this is intriguing if this is a big if he's a Tommy John surgery and he's 35. But if you get a version of him like the 2020 or to go to the larger sample, the 2019 version, yeah, you want that guy. But that's years and a very significant surgery ago. So I don't know. I, I really I, I don't know. I'm I'm not going to hate it if it happens, but it's one that I don't think you could get excited about until you see it in action. And it's like, oh, he's working, you know? I mean, that on a very literal level of he's able to play, and two, that he's still got the stuff and isn't just completely past it at this point. Yeah, it's also on MLB Trade Rumors said his uh, his power sinker that averaged around 94 to 95 miles per hour Um at his peak was down to 92.6 at the end of the year. So Yankees brought him back. He recorded two outs in three games and then they shut him down again. I think it's a situation where Chafin, Matt Moore, Will Smith, other higher profile or not profile, but more sure things at performance at this stage of their career will sign. And then maybe someone at the end of that takes a flyer on Britain. But like you said, to, to just stop you there. That kind of sounds like where the Brewers come in on this, though, is like you're saying he's going to be the scraps. <laughs> and particularly, I'm not even just being disparaged with the Brewers, but you list the teams you list like Yankees, Red Sox, Blue Jays, Rangers, Angels, Astros. Like it's the Brewers are not necessarily going to get first picking of those guys. So Although we could say, oh, well, that's all of the teams at baseball at this point, which even beyond that, I mean, Cardinals, Cubs. So, yeah, you've got nine teams in total listed there. Um, The Brewers are possibly the team who are most likely to be like, okay, well, let's take the flyer on the cheapest guy and the guy who's available towards the back end of that. I hope I'm wrong. That sounds really grim, and I don't intentionally kind of be to be like that, but I... I do think that could be how that plays out if if we're to take as gospel, which, you know, is probably not wise, that, for example, those nine teams are really invested in finding a left-handed reliever or in the market. Well, for the Brewers to emerge from that, you're either going to be a team that's overpaying on someone. Well, I think, one, we don't expect that, but two, it's probably not smart what's left there. I, I don't know, though, uh, what, like because part of what Rosenthal not- noted in that is that the left-handed reliever market has kind of been skewed um, by the Phillies, the Phillies deal with Matt Strom, was that it? Um, like, I, what price do you think someone is paying for Zach Britton at 35 after Tommy John surgery? Because that does not sound like something that there should be much of a price at all. But I don't know, if there's not a lot of options there and the market's competitive... Might be his lucky day still. The good news is I don't care about their money um, and that the Brewers, in this case, do not have to give up a real prospect to get him because he's a free agent and sure. uh, not uh, trade bullpen depth. Bullpen depth, Adam. Um, yeah, take a flyer incentive-laden contract. See what you got in spring training. I'm sure the workout was great, but uh Yeah. I do. I I would like one more left-handed arm for that bullpen. That's to be sure. Uh, 
I want it to be Andrew Chafin, but, you know, we'll see what shakes out. Uh, the last bit of news, Adam, from that Ken Rosenthal piece is uh, an old friend's name is surfacing in a general manager search down in Houston. Um, so David Stearns, who, as you'll know, uh, stepped down from the president of baseball operations role from the Brewers in October, uh, citing, I would guess, like burnout and a need to decompress and step away for a while. How to know uh, if it name... is shit, I think is, is kind of what... <laughs> yeah, I don't think he was quoted as that, but fair enough. No, to, uh, there was, no there, quote. There, yeah, there was one year left on his contract at the time, so the Astros would need permission from the Brewers uh, to interview Stern. Uh, it says it is not known whether permission has been requested at this point, and it is not known whether Stearns would be interested in the Astros so soon after relinquishing his role with the Brewers. So what Ken Rosenthal said... I think it's also basic... not known if Mark Adonazio would grant permission to the Astros, having turned on that twice before. So there's a lot of unknowns here. Correct. Uh, apparently he denied the Giants' request in 2018, the Mets in 2021. Um, some other candidates, Dana Brown in Atlanta, who I think everyone for the last few weeks, based on Twitter, it seems to think is the favorite, is... Stern's name emerging late. Real? Is there smoke where there's fire? I don't know. You and I, in our conspiracy theory pod, uh, when this news was announced, really expected him to be in the mix for either a Mets or an Astros move. And now, as we get down to the business end of the offseason, where you know there's going to be a season pretty soon, and kind of weird timing where you're stepping into the job and all of the offseason moves have been made for you, um, I don't know what to make of this because neither does Ken Rosenthal. So there's that. <laughs> First of all, I'm going to take the official Brewers line on this, which is David Stearns is not, in fact, an old friend. He is still a good friend, Andrew. He is an active part of the organization. Brewers employee. Don't know what you're talking about. He's still Define a good active. friend. <laughs> um, he plays golf at the simulator. I, I, I don't know what he does. And the whole situation is weird. And there's a lot of unknowns because there are a lot of unknowns around it. Um, I'm sure everyone listening will remember him talking about, oh, you know, just other things I'd like to do. I have a lot of interests. And uh, maybe I'll never even work at baseball again. Everyone's like, what? What, what are some of the other things then? And he's like, oh, you know, just some things. Uh, which honestly, that's the root of it. Like that could be, as we said at the time, completely sincere. And he could be like, I want to work in a different industry altogether. I have this passion for, I don't know, woodwork and I want to pursue that. But he didn't actually say that. He didn't give any breadcrumbs. And so it felt like just something vague, a placeholder statement that was purposely evasive and wasn't really fooling anyone. I, I still think this will happen sooner rather than later. Um, I don't think you take the step back, though, and sit out till now to take a team. Even the Astros, which, I mean, it is a, it's a pretty, uh, pretty good job to land as a baseball executive. One issue, you have to work for Jim Crane. <laughs> that, is, that is an issue. But I don't know if Stearns is the kind of guy who would sit out to take over the job at this point, as you said. I think he would want an offseason, which it's it's one year remaining on his Brewers deal, right? So, I mean, next, I I really would be stunned 
if it doesn't happen before then, that if we go through next off season, that he is not running the show somewhere else. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Strange situation that is just going to continue to kind of linger. It's not a distraction because you've moved them aside and it's not a distraction from our point of view. And I don't think the focus will be there, but I do wonder about the internal dynamics of it because I have long assumed that he isn't really doing anything. I don't know, maybe he is. Maybe Matt Arnold does call him and be like, hey, what do you think about this? Which just always seemed insane to me. I don't, I don't understand why you'd even present the arrangement like that because it seems so implausible. But maybe it's so implausible that it, it is something they're actually doing. Because could That's you dream God, it up and convince yourself said. any other way? The arrangement did not anticipate this. So, <laughs> uh, I've always thought that you know you're the David Stearns to my Matt Arnold, Adam. You're just like really Jesus. a mentor. Uh, I don't like you that. know when it when it comes to like <laughs> film. I'm like Adam. I'm about to watch a movie. What should I put on? And you're like Andrew as as an advisor in this trusted role. You should watch this, and then I do it. So very similar dynamic to what I assume Matt Arnold is doing with David Stern right before he signs uh, Brian Anderson to a deal worth three and a half million dollars plus incentives. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's meaningful one way or the other. If Stearns wants to jump back into baseball, more power to him. If he wants to do what I would do and not work for a year, then I think he should do that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, just, you know, something to give us something to talk about uh, in January. So for that, we appreciate you. Whoever in the Houston front office leaked this to Ken Rosenthal to get conversations started. They just wanted, they wanted, they didn't want to go through the back channels of reaching out to Stearns or Adonazio right away. They wanted to put it into the universe and, and see what happens. Uh, it's, it's worth mentioning. I made my crack about Jim Crane, but David Stearns was the assistant GM of the Astros from November 2012 to September 2015 before uh, coming to the Brewers. So uh, he's well-versed in that working environment and probably at a time that was more toxic than it is now um, in general. But yeah, shall we shall we go back in time, Adam, or do you have anything else to add about modern Brewers events? No, let's go back in time. All right, so as we mentioned, we watched Game 163 between the Milwaukee Brewers and the Chicago Cubs um, from, I believe it was October 1st, 2018, if I get that correct. The Brewers in September of that season had been down as many as five games in the division to the Cubs. The Cubs blew a 3-1 lead. The Cubs blew a 28-3 lead, however you want to frame it. The Brewers went on an insane run. To, to track them down. Was it, was it you that was telling me right before we got started on the playback that night that the Brewers had won seven in a row going into 163? That's right. And then so here they were. Game 163 at Wrigley Field. The winner wins the division. The loser would go to the one-game wildcard uh, situation. And y- you never want to be in a win-and-go-home game that early in the postseason on the mound for the Brewers. Ulysse Chassin on the mound for the Chicago Cubs. Uh, old friend, new friend, now out of the division, Jose Quintana. 
uh, our friends in the Discord, like Steve and Logan and Dumac, were telling us that at this time, the Brewers rotation is not the rotation that we know now with guys that can go deep into games like Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff. It was more of a get through the order twice and turn it over to an elite bullpen. That turn being it said, over to uh, potentially Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff at some points. Oh, yes, at that time. Yeah, that's wow. Just the we're going full circle here. Uh, the Brewers got this. The scoring started early in the third inning where soon-to-be-crowned MVP Christian Yelich singled to score Orlando Arcia. Yulis Chassin goes five and two-thirds innings with a hit, one earned run, two walks, and three strikeouts. The hit came, or yeah, the hit and home run came in the fifth inning. Anthony Rizzo crushes one into the right field bleachers to tie the game at one-to-one. Uh, I was told at this time there was a lot of nerv- nervousness setting in. Brewers Twitter wondering why they didn't make a move to the bullpen earlier. Uh, Chasin would settle down to nearly make it out of the sixth inning, and then he would be relieved by Xavier Cedeno, who would walk a batter, allow a hit, and then be removed. No fear. Joaquin Soria enters the game for one batter and records a strikeout of, I believe Javier Baez to get out of the inning. Or was this Wilson Contreras? Let me pull up my play by play really quickly. Uh, but b- before we keep going, obviously one, one uh, in the, after the sixth inning at that point to go back briefly, Adam, what was your experience like of, of watching a game that you know is so significant to a fan base that you're now a part of and, like moving forward, when there's an a there's a game like this, if we're there's no game one sixty three anymore, but if there's a game on the final day of the Major League Baseball season between, let's say the Milwaukee Brewers and the St. Louis Cardinals, and it's deciding the division, uh, we're gonna be shitting our pants. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and that's the thing is the significance of it is something I know, I understand, um, but I I can't feel. I can never. It's it passed me by. I wasn't there at the moment, and beyond that, it doesn't mean anything. So, I wasn't um I wasn't getting wrapped up in emotion watching this game. I just found it really interesting. I, I had a lot of fun. I mean, obviously, we'll, we'll probably talk a little bit more about it when we finish. It's a very different version of Christian Yelich, which is fun to watch. And it's like, oh, there's Yelly, and then he looks like the Christian Yelich that I had heard so much about, that I knew of in past, but was not really watching. Um, overall, again, probably in part, I guess, for people who don't know, I don't know if there is anyone who'd be listening to this who doesn't, but I've covered and followed the books and written or podcasting form one way or another for eight years. So even though in 2018, I was not watching baseball at all, I was not watching the Brewers. If you have a Twitter timeline that is full of Milwaukee sports fans, um, Milwaukee sports writers at this point obviously the noise is really ramping up and really throughout that season and in that kind of multiple year stretch where I would have been familiar with a lot of names on this team um, and would have even had ideas in my head of how good they were without understanding anything about what they did Um, so obviously Yelly was at the top end of that but guys like Ryan Braun and Lorenzo Kane as well um, Aguilar certainly fit that bill as someone who I was familiar with. Um, Orlando Garcia, likewise, Mike Mustakas. These are these are all names that I really 
Travis Shaw too that I had a sense of. Um, so so that part of that is fun to actually be like, oh, well, these are these people that I know of, but to actually get to see them play um, is is a fun thing or to get to see them play as brewers in some cases, because some of them are our old friends that we saw multiple times at other teams last season, in a couple of cases, at least. Um, and then there's others, like, for example, Eric Kratz, who I knew nothing about. I don't think I'd ever heard his name before. And I was like, oh, who's that guy with the with the full-on soul patch and not, not an ounce of facial hair beyond that? He's interesting. Uh, excited to see how that develops. Yeah, I had a lot of fun. I, I think it's just, it is it is interesting that it's like, we cannot have the experience that others had with this, but we'll we'll be enriched by the experience in a different way. So I, I think maybe the tension of the moment for those who were there and who felt it at the time, they can probably even rekindle that to some degree in rewatching this game because they can feel how they felt in the moment. They can remember what was going on, where they watched it, what people were saying. Um, and for us, it is it is a different thing that I've at least found, I'll speak for myself, to be to be at a remove, but really enjoyable and interesting all the same. Yeah, I'm viewing this as almost like deep diving into some sort of historical artifact. And I think yeah. I I'm really enjoying getting to see the responses from our friends and listeners who remember where they were, how they felt, how stressed out they were. It for it it reminds me of like when I started at NC State in 2010 and like I watched a documentary like Survive in Advance and I'm watching like the 1983 national championship. I wasn't there. I don't know how, what the experience was like, but all the people there will tell you about it. And obviously they're different levels and that also had, you know, Jim Valvano and, and his story and what would eventually happen to him. So a little, little easier to tap into the emotion, but I've, I've enjoyed getting to see also just like the way baseball has shifted in the last five or so years like talking about shifted and shifted back in some ways and just like it's that was that was the thing that i know i brought it up but it was really jarring we were like like rules have changed and changed again and it how to what extent it's a completely different game and then it, but how it's going to be again with the shift gone now into next season it's kind of wild for five years i i don't think we fully got there on the pod but that to me is something that put in kind of finer focus for me than maybe i've ever had before just how much this game that you and i love and you have loved for a very long time in your life is in a place of desperation (laughs) to some extent um and is really proactively trying to fix i guess it's quote-unquote problems some of them being real problems some of them not i just found that to be really really interesting yeah, absolutely. Um, and even just like the Yelich thing, um, the Yelich thing, just the way his performance has shifted. And at that time, he's the National League MVP and uh, should have won the next year as well. I will continue to maintain over Cody Bellinger. And now he's just not the player he was. That even extends uh, to role players. I mean, there was a bit of confusion uh, between me and uh one of our listeners steven where i was talking about uh jonathan scope leading baseball and outs above average uh, for the tigers in 2022 and this season with the brewers he was much less effective as a defensive second baseman and a source of a lot of uh frustration for brewers fans so it's just funny 
re- revisiting a point in time where players' career arcs were at a different point. How, how have they improved since then? Obviously, Mike Mustak is, is another guy who is an example of that. Um, someone who, at this point in his career, I think uh, designated for assignment by the Reds and is looking for a new home. And at that time, he's a meaningful contributor uh, on a team that would contend for a World Series. And that goes also for a guy like Travis Shaw, who was a vital part of that Brewers team and someone that um, really made a positive impact. I mean, at 825 OPS, played 152 games that season and hit 32 homers. And now he's out of baseball. Jesus Aguilar, 35 homers that year. And now he's signed a deal with the Oakland A's. So it's just funny to see how baseball's changed, how careers have changed. And, you know, some guys have uh, progressed in their careers to the point where, okay, now they're in their prime or now they're past their prime. Another really fun aspect of this, obviously coming into the Brewers fandom when we did is we got a very different version of Lorenzo Kane than existed back then and seeing him just, and we'll get to this absolutely rifle a ball up the middle. was just so satisfying to see jumping back into the shape. The game would take, as we mentioned, we left you in the bottom of the sixth inning, uh, Hulis Chassin started the sixth, walked Ian Happ, induced a double play ball from Wilson Contreras. Xavier Cedeno comes in. A Daniel Murphy single, a Ben Zobris walk, uh, places runners on first and second. Joachim Soria comes in, strikes out Javi Baez. And at that point, I imagine uh, just the, the tension you could cut with a knife <laughs> at that point. Soria getting out of a jam and giving the Brewers new life. That would lead to a scoreless inning from Corey Knebel after the Brewers would fail to muster anything in the top of the seventh. And then, Adam, in that eighth inning, the uh, moment that I just referenced, getting to see the the full-on Lorenzo Kane uh, at his best moment, uh, Justin Wilson comes on in the eighth. Orlando Arcia singles who I think Orlando Arcia went four for four in this baseball game. Arcia is now in the Braves organization at once thought of as the Brewers shortstop of the future has not really panned out for him being an everyday player in baseball. Um, did did you see what his, his OPS was for this season? Cause I came out of this. I and did. God, Orlando Arcia was good at that time. And then, yeah. uh, no, he had a five seventy six OPS for the season and he just showed up when it mattered most, which I love that. That's that's very cool to do that all the same. It it makes you uh it made me really appreciate Arias because I think there's a lot of like discourse on him when he's struggling. Um and there's like a lot of people yelling on Twitter about whether he's overrated and then they get another subset of people saying he's underrated and you know, he's he's a decent player. He didn't have a five seventy six OPS, but yes, uh uh, Arcia coming up when it mattered the most, singles the center to start off that eighth. And then another aspect I want to talk about once we get to what happened here, um, uh, Domingo Santana, uh, pinch hits for Corey Knable, doubles down the left field line, uh, moves him to second, Arcia to third, Steve Ciszek comes in, and that's when Lorenzo Cain uh, fires a single up the middle, scores Arcia, moves Santana to third, uh, then, uh, God, I'm trying to look at all these pitching changes. This is what I want to talk about as well. You come mm-hmm. into baseball with the three batter minimum, 
uh, being a thing. So you enter a baseball game unless there's like an injury or something. He had to face three batters uh, in that inning. Obviously, if it translates uh, to another inning, that is out of play. But this was just literally a time in baseball where playoff games would go four and a half hours because you could mix and match depending on the batter, pretty much every batter. And there's part of me that is says it takes away a degree of the strategy and decision-making that the manager uh, has to make, so it's worse for the game. But also just seeing it again and what that process is like, I'm just like, that's fine. Like I've got a solution. I've got a solution. We can call it a proposal. Um, Rob Manfred, if you're listening, this will be on your desk very, very soon. Give teams one opportunity per game to bypass the minimum three batters. So one inning? Or just one pitching change? Just one pitching change that okay. is exempt from that rule. Because... Um, my reaction to this was uh, it was Xavier Sedano, right, who came in and just didn't have it and sucked. And immediately they're like, no, you're terrible. Get out of here. And for me, that was exhilarating. <laughs> I I just love the ability to do that. Um, now, obviously, the flip side of that is you could use it more strategically and tactically without that situation. It could re- work really well. I think it's a it's something that for my first time seeing it, I know how ridiculous this will sound to probably everyone listening, but I was like, oh, this is really interesting. And that was my reaction immediately. And then you and Jordan and everyone else correctly gave me the context of, yeah, the problem is games will be four and a half hours of this. I was like, okay, I see why you get rid of that. But it's interesting that it was one extreme or the other, as opposed to finding a way to work this in. Because I think having one, just like in like an NBA game, you have a challenge and it's like, or, you know, various sports have these things where you've got, okay, here's your one chance to to go against something that is kind of ingrained as, in the rules. And yeah, it's going to slow the game down a little bit, but it gives you either a chance to get the best result or to work it to your advantage. That's something that I, I think they should have done is maybe not just completely do away with this because one, it is cool to just be like, no, you're terrible. Like, we're just pulling you immediately. This isn't working. Because the, the flip side of that is there's something that is like very hard to watch and soul-destroying. Maybe it is more dramatic, but on the occasions where a reliever comes in on a night where he just does not have it, and it's a disaster immediately, and then you're sitting and you're watching this car crash play out over a prolonged period of time, I don't know if that's fun either. I don't know if that's putting the best the best product out there on the field. So there's... I, I think it's, it's probably a... a topic where there could be a more nuanced find the balance now again i'm i'm taking all of this in i'm trying to process it i'm dealing with the small sample sizes my understanding from my full season of watching last year and from what i know went before is baseball does not do the happy medium of rule change they just go from one thing and they get rid of that and they do another thing and I don't know, but that's my take on it. Is I I do think it's cool, and I could see the real value for adding intrigue. Obviously, you can't have it be unlimited. I uh, I love that. I'm like I miss the chess match, and you're like I love the human hu- humiliation. But it, I love it's, that it's both though. It, it, I I do think there is something because it is like we've talked well, about. Sport, the, I guess the loneliness theater, of a pitcher Adam, so, doesn't yeah. have it, but. 
just I, I found that so jarring and the ability to do that to be kind of cool. Um, <laughs> I don't think Xavier Sedano thought it was cool at the time. He looked completely just emotionally broken and shattered. But you know what? That's better for him to get pulled there than to just give away the game. Uh, the Brewers lose game 163 because of him and everyone hates him for the rest of his life. Like, I I think there is there is something there that's interesting. And yes, I'm not speaking enough to, you may not have to use it like that in the game. And if you don't have to use it for that kind of reason, well, you can then use it for, okay, let's, let's bring in a lefty at this moment. Let's use it strategically, whatever it might be. Like, I... I think it's something cool that they probably could have found a balance for and they just clearly decided not to. This is uh, why I appreciate Hobie Milner's career breakout coming when it did. Because there was a time where you could have a guy on your roster where it's like, I get lefties out and that's all I do. And now, if you don't, you're getting Xavier Cedeno, uh off the roster, not out of yeah, the yeah, ballgame, off the roster. Uh the other so, yeah, thing I, I want to say, so there's one other thing that struck me, and this could literally just be this game, but I'm putting it out here because I want to just throw the ideas that come into my brain over this process, these uh, 11 games, right, we're going to watch, um, and then revisit and be like, okay, well, that was real, or that was something that was just that game that was a freak thing. I haven't seen too many games where... All of the hitting was very precise and very visually and kind of aesthetically pleasing in this game, but in a intriguing way where I'm kind of like, is that just what it's like when you're watching the Brewers be a good hitting team? Where it's like, it doesn't have to be this absolutely perfect moon ball that's that's up at the upper decks to to be something that's pleasing, where it's just there were just quality hitting guys manufacturing hits, I think is maybe a good way of putting it. Um or is that something different? Like, is that a, could the, has the way that you even perceive hitting, how hitting looks, how it's played out. Does that change? For example, do you feel when much documented, much discussed changes with the balls, for example, come about things like that? Is this a product of also something that stood out to me in this game? Although that again, might just be the two starting pitchers and some of the other guys we saw in, uh, not a lot of gas, not Matt Arnold's baseball. A lot of I 70s, wonder, 80s slider heavy work being being put in this game. I would have to go back, but I and just like actually research this because it's a long time ago, but it's also not a long time ago. But I'm wondering if this was just like right on the cusp of the spin rate revolution where pitchers just really got ahead of the curve in terms of what they're doing to the baseball and probably still in an era where teams made a little bit more contact. I mean, now we're in the three true outcome era, strikeout walks and homers. And I got to say, you know, they're hoping to address it with some of these rule changes and hoping that if you're not getting shifted, maybe you won't try and hit it over the shift and you'll try yeah, and you know, make more contact. That's a good but point is, too that I hadn't thought about as in, you have a greater ability to kind of create and find space because it, it is that kind of in-between space. Um, It's these kind of balls that are just over the shortstop's head or a second baseman's head where it's like, that is a different ty- type of plate approach for a hitter than they, they kind of think of now because of the shift from what I've seen. So, And I guess just like, 
data has made us smarter to a degree about what's most efficient and whatever that may be and like the optimal way to approach run scoring but also it has to a degree produced a game that's less aesthetically pleasing because i mean watching christian yelich get a ball in the outer half of the plate and go the other way with a hard line drive in between the shortstop and the third baseman was very satisfying watching Orlando Arcia continue to get on base with these hard hit singles and then go first to third on a Domingo Santana double. I mean, the balls in play uh, aspect of certain eras of baseball, I think it's just a lot uh, more fun to watch. And I, I, I really wonder if cutting down on things like spider tack and getting spin rates back in check and some of the adjustments they're making to the rules will force teams to adjust their approach to a more contact-based hitting approach where, I mean, I don't know, we could just be too lost to the launch angle revolution. And, I mean, homers are fun, don't get me wrong. I would never say that homers aren't fun. But if there's a more balanced style of baseball moving forward with some of the exciting players that we've got in baseball right now, because there are plenty of them, Shohei Otani, Juan Soto, Fernando Tatis when he's back, Manny Machado, uh, you know, there's a lot of really just fun to watch baseball players right now. And if the game can shift into something where there are fewer strikeouts and more balls in play, I think baseball really could have something. But just like, what are the factors and how well are you able to overcome them? But this game in particular was one where you just saw a lot of contact and runs run score, not via the home run, save for Anthony Rizzo's homer. Uh, and I just, yeah, it's just an interesting look into an era that is not that long ago, but still felt different um, to what we're watching today. Also, to your point, it could be just that's what this particular game was. Uh, but as we go through this process and I re-familiarize myself with games I watched as a neutral and you see these games for the first time, I think we'll maybe get a better sense about what did baseball look like in 2018 as compared to today. Yeah, um, again... I could watch the next game and I know you won't remember exactly what the next game and it could be all homers and it could be all ground balls and it could be just like what we watched and be like, Oh, okay. Uh, That was, but I'm just putting it out there because I thought the, to use like golf parlance and I did this last night too. It's like the shot making was interesting. And these kind of sawed off finishes, Lorenzo Cain in particular, just a beautiful stinger out there for, for his big single. And that's kind of part, I mean, you're right in talking about the impact it could have if there was a greater emphasis towards contact that came back into the game. I think it would make the best players better, but it also probably raises the floor of the the lesser offensive players, which might be most important because like you look at a team like the Brewers and some of the guys are just like, okay, well, this is a waste of our time. We know this is this is going to be a quick out like that that's something that hurts it too uh, part of that is like the evolution of the game the evolution of athletes the evolution of pitchers in particular and it's like how do you keep a handle on this like how do you shape a sport like baseball to be the best version of itself when there's a lot of things that are outside of your control that just naturally take place but i, I found it to be interesting on all fronts the way that like Five years, not a long time. That's not even. It's just over four years, really. We're early in 2023. 
and yet how different this game was to what we watched last season and yet we know the changes are coming that are going to make the coming season different to last season as well so kind of crazy but i guess this is baseball yeah and i mean in general i think uh sports can be cyclical in their styles i mean corner threes and dunks uh all passing never run the ball <laughs> so it's just like things things take shape and become the norm um and we'll see where baseball goes from here with these changes uh where we left you was lorenzo Cain's two iron as adam described it uh up the middle to score orlando arcia and send domingo santana to third another pitching change c-shack removed randy rosario comes in strikes out christian yelich Brandon Kinsler then replaces Rosario and Brewers legend Ryan Braun single to center um, to score Santana. Lorenzo Kane to third. Uh, Jesus Aguilar would then fly out. In the bottom of the eighth inning, Adam, a guy we're very familiar with, Josh Hader comes in for the Milwaukee Brewers. Um, some of our listeners in the chat last night were informing us that at this time, uh, there were rumors going around, I guess, but it wasn't known going into the game that Brewers uh, – Closer Jeremy Jeffress was not available and not in Chicago for this game. Um, never got a reason as to to why that was the case, um, but that would require uh, some you know creativity from the bullpen at that point. Josh Hader, who would soon become the Brewers' closer, comes in in the bottom of the eight, um, strikes out Jason Hayward. Uh, a line out from. Uh, I can give you. I can give you the reason, by the way. Oh, um, perfect! It was it was due to epilepsy. That's, that's okay. Yeah, that was. Uh, I think that was what uh, Stephen or Logan had said that was the thought last night. But I guess that was reported after the fact. So that's uh, that's uh, unfortunate um, for him. So uh, Hater pressed into double duty, gets a line out from Almora Jr. after striking out Hayward, then strikes out Wilson Contreras swinging. Nothing doing for the Brewers in the top of the night, and. Lo and behold, who comes out for the bottom of the ninth to to nail down the save? That's Josh Hader going for the two-inning save, Adam. Uh, strikes out Daniel Murphy. Um, ben Zobris flies out to right center. Javi Baez keeps the game alive with a single to center. It's a 3-1 Brewers lead. One more out needed. A man who had homered earlier in the game to give the Cubs their lone run, Anthony Rizzo, at the plate. Hits a fly ball that was a little bit in on his hands. Looks scary off the bat, uh, but it would settle into the glove of the right fielder. The Milwaukee Brewers are the 2018 National League Central champions. And uh, we got to watch it with some friends. Basically, for the first time, i would seen this game. I will say, next uh, round of watching will be much fresher for me because I was not locked into Brewers Rockies as the Braves and Dodgers uh, National League Division Series was going on concurrently. Uh, so I'm excited to see that for the first time. But uh, cool historical artifact, a moment in baseball time, a moment in Brewers time, and I really enjoyed getting to check it out uh, with you. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Look forward to continuing through this. And again, join us if you're a podcast listener. Uh... We know a whole lot more people listen to the pod than are joining us for playbacks, but I think through the Rocky series and certainly into the Dodger series, I know there's some big, big moments that people talk about a lot of fun memories of. So come watch those games with us. It's a lot of fun. 
All right, Andrew, I think that does it for us for this episode. As always, make sure you subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. In addition to that, if you like the pod, you've got thoughts of your own, whether it's on current Brewers things, whether it's on Game 163 from 2018 that you want to share with us, you can get at us on Twitter and get us in the Discord, but also on Repod. Um, you've probably heard us talk about it in recent weeks, but Repod is a platform, a community for, for podcasts and pod, um, podcasters where basically everything we post on the feed is in there you can go you can listen to our episodes natively in the app if you like um but you can go leave comments on individual episodes we're in there starting conversation ready to talk back and forth on anything you hear anything you have thoughts on um so whether it's positive negative you want to you want to debate some things you've got any observations your own anything we missed anything we should think about going forward you can almost go to Repod, that's joinrepod.com forward slash cruising for a bruising. You'll find our room. All the episodes are in there. Uh, feel free to drop a comment and get in touch with us. Until next time, make sure on top of all things GSPN, Talking to Thunder for the Packers, Eurostep Podcast Network, home of the Eurostep and Winning Six for all things books, and make time for this for pop culture, movies, all of that stuff. Um, later today if you're listening to this on release day actually not later today it's already up well, I talk, this is the later today episode uh, Andrew and I have already talked about the 95th Oscar nominations and Damien Chazelle's latest film Babylon a fun episode if any of that sounds interesting you can hear more of Andrew and I there we'll be back soon talk to you all next week thank you very much Andrew thanks Adam <laughs>